Okay, we want to get started with Micah once again, and so let's uh, bow for a word of prayer as we begin, as the choir members are, are gathering to be with us. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we come to you now, we thank you once again for being with us throughout the day. We thank you for a new day, for the pleasant temperatures that we can have. We thank you also for the privilege of being able to study your word. We ask this in your precious name, amen. Okay, we are back to Micah, and uh, Micah was prophesying during the time of Sennacherib, who was uh, coming on in and trying to uh, take over Jerusalem, and uh, so then at the end of it, Nebuchadnezzar did come in, take over Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, Uh, but we are in this time when Micah was prophesying what was going to happen. And so we uh, were going through the various towns that Micah mentioned in chapter 1. And he mentioned these different towns, and he, in his type of of, uh, writing, he would take the name of the town and he would add this to a Hebrew word that was similar to this, and this Hebrew word would kind of describe what was going to happen to the people in this town. For instance, uh, Beth Laafra was the house of dust that was going to turn into dust. We had Shafer, and this was where the town was beautiful, but they were supposed to leave in shame, and so that was what was going to happen to them. Uh, Zonan, they march out. And so, again, as Nebuchadnezzar would be coming on in, they would have to march out. And so we were all the way up to the, um, to, uh, yes, uh, for the, no, where is it? It disappeared from my Bible. Uh, Yes. Oh, and verse 13. Chapter 1, verse 13. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It is the beginning of sin to the daughters of Zion, for in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Okay, now, Lachish, or Lachish is the way it should be pronounced, and I forgot to bring my pointer, and this one isn't working. But anyway, Lachish is over in this area right here where we have these three camels. I just gave you the answer to my question. Okay, we have Bethlehem here, Jerusalem is up here, and uh, Lachish is here. Why would Lachish, and Lachish was the, considered to be the second most important town in the Shephelah. And the Shephelah is this whole area. Uh, Jerusalem would be kind of on the edge of it, but this would be the area of the Shephelah. Why would Lachish be such an important town? Mike. Okay, it was a military post. Randy. Did it have water? Yes, it did have water. That was, that was a big thing. But uh, I gave you a clue. Camels, what did camels have to do with? Trade route, caravans, trade route. And so this was a big trade route. They would come on in from Syria, 
or us area, they'd come on in around here through the area of uh, Capernaum. Then they could either come down like so, down Jericho and out, or they would come here through the horns of Hatim, which is a mountain pass, and then they would come on down the coastal way. And so this was a very important area for them. So anyway, we see that Micah is saying here that harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish, it was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion. What would the harnessing the steeds or the horses to their chariots, what would be significant here with what we've been studying uh, last week? It was well fortified town, but it was going to be destroyed. And if you had to get out, the best way to get out in a hurry was by horse. And so somebody, and here again I have to depend on others, but they say the Hebrew word for horses, rakish. You didn't know that I would know that, did you? <laughs> but anyway, so he kind of tied this together. Take your rakish and get out of lakish. And so this is the the type of writing that Micah has been using here. Now, Lachish was a important town, and I, I had everything all set up really nicely, and then something happened. This is a, um, a picture, current picture, of the Tel Lachish. And so you have the city up on top, the, now there's um, farmland around it. This is the picture of the walls that we have. The outer walls, there were two sets of walls around Lachish. The outer walls were 19 feet thick, and so that would be about uh, like from here to the wall. That's how wide the walls would be. You could drive a chariot on the top of the wall. Then there was another wall inside that, which was 13 feet thick. And so that's just about the distance from the free throw line to the basket on a basketball court. And so that was the second wall that we had. Now, <clears throat> Sennacherib uh, was able to defeat uh, Lachish eventually, but he came on down and <clears throat> he used 70 feet of his palace wall to chronicle the battle of Lachish. So you take a 70-foot wall, and now you write on this. This was legal graffiti. And so you write on this, and it took 70 feet of wall for him to describe the battle of Lachish and being able to uh, cause that to uh, be destroyed. So we see that... Micah is saying that even Lachish, which was so well fortified, was now going to be destroyed by the next uh, invader. And now what's the reason for, the, for all of these cities being destroyed? Judgment. All right, this was judgment, which was going to come. It had not come yet, 
but this was going to come, and so he is pointing this out to these individuals. Now we continue on with some other towns, and we have uh, in verse 15, okay, therefore you shall give parting gifts to Marsheth Gath. The houses of Axeb shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. Now Marsheth Gath was and Axeb were a suburb of Lachish. This is kind of like <clears throat> Lachish was up on the top and then down in the valley, you have that. I grew up in a town of population of six, but we lived in the suburbs. Uh, <clears throat> and so anyway, this is kind of the same thing that we have here. Morsheth Gath and Lachish were suburbs. Morsheth Gath means you will give. So what it seems to be here is that they are going to have to give things to the conquerors. So they are going to be giving things to the conquerors. And then Axeb is deceitful. And this is that Axeb was going to be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. Now, where is Israel in our study here? Okay, Israel is up north. So that's everything north of Jerusalem or north of Samaria and so on. There are commentators that feel that he should have said Judah. That there is some idea here that, uh, the, that the inhabitants of, of Exeb were going to be deceitful to the kings of Judah rather than the kings of Israel, because the kings of Israel were deceived already. In fact, they were gone. Yeah, they were gone by this time. And so there's just a little bit of, of uh, controversy about that, whether that should be kings of Israel or kings of Judah. And I am not going to make a judgment on that. Okay, then we see, I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Merishah, the glories of Israel shall come to Adullam. Again, that could possibly be, uh, be uh, Judah instead of Israel. But Merishah is that they would going, that word means to conquer. And so they were not going to conquer, but the inhabitants of Merishah were going to be conquered by this king coming on in, which... Uh, was uh, King uh, Sennacherib. So <clears throat> then we see the last town that's mentioned here, Adullam. Now, Adullam was down south a little bit further, and let's see, I'll, I'll go back here, just because I like maps. There we go. Well, okay. <clears throat> So Adullam is down in this area, in here. Uh, this was the area where David was hiding from King Saul. And so he was hiding with his band of, of soldiers, and so we see that this is a place of, uh, of hiding. And so a, uh, 
deceitful place. So the Jews will probably hide there from the conqueror, just as David hid from Saul. So as they were being booted out of Lachish and these other towns, this was one of the places where they could hide. Now there's one of the things in Israel that you do see at various places, and not necessarily this particular situation, but it tells you this. You have these cliffs that have caves in them. And some of these caves are actually quite nice. They have gone on in, and the Jews lived inside of these caves uh, when the Romans were there, which would be a long time later, but the, David and his people and the inhabitants of Lachish, so on, could have been living in similar situations. Now, the way that the Romans got them out of there was uh, pretty horrific, but anyway, they did have these caves, and they did live uh, uh, in them. So, <clears throat> what caused... Okay, we know that the individuals that they had sinned, and Micah is now telling them what the result of their sin was going to be. Uh, one of the commentaries that I have, I want to just read his description of this, which is much more eloquent than what I can do. The prophet should be a model for us. Now, the model of what these people in these cities were doing. Far too often, divine judgment is a doctrine we affirm rather than a reality we abhor. We have far too little of the prophet's agony. He wailed over a people who had the scriptures and their promises who had known the works and deliverances of God and who were turning their back on it all. I think of the analogous situation in Western Europe and North America culture. People who have enjoyed the light of the scriptures, we have the scriptures, we don't have any um, compulsion that we can't have it, we can have as many Bibles in our house as we want to. The fruit of the Reformation, where they came on in and they realized that the church at that time had been leading them astray, and so they reformed. And the revivals, and we've had revivals. What are some of the great revivals that we've had uh, in Europe or in North America? Or some of the revivalists, the individuals that brought the word out? Okay, the Reformation. Who are some of the individuals that we can think back on that, were proclaiming the word of God. Pardon? Okay. Another one? Finney? Okay. Another one? Okay, we had Moody. Uh, there were, uh, we have individuals on the radio, and you have to be a little bit discerning as to which ones you listen to, but there are a lot of individuals that have been preaching the word in Europe and in the United States. <clears throat> but the people who have enjoyed the light of the scriptures, the fruit of the Reformation and the revivals now choose to walk by the light of their own darkness, and the hands of millions slide down the slimy sides of the bottomless pit. We can write books about the phenomenon, chart its course, uncover its causes, 
but we too seldom ever grieve over the tragedy. There are also sections of the church that disdain to follow a close reading of the Bible and plunge into doctrinal indifference, and not, surprisingly, moral anarchy. We have a situation where just recently now, the Methodist church has split, and there's over a thousand Methodist churches that have left the Methodist denomination over the uh, situation of homosexual marriage and homosexual uh, leaders in the church. And so there are, uh, there are over a thousand churches that have left and started their own uh, denomination, trying to be true to the word. Witness the hue and cry among some for approval and sanction of same-sex unions. It's easy for us to moan the trend, to shake our heads, but few of us pour out a torrent of agony and despair before the one who has been rejected. And so not only did the Old Testament individuals uh, <clears throat> deny the word of God that they had at that time, they didn't have all of the, what we have, but we see the same thing is happening in our day. Will persecution come to us? Uh, I don't know. None of us can know, but there are situations that are occurring that could lead, uh, could lead us in that direction. Any comments or questions on chapter 1? Grant. Right. What Eric is saying, for those of you who are in the back of the room and couldn't hear, is that the Methodist uh, denomination came out of the Great Awakening in that they wanted to make sure that, we, that there was the idea that we, since you were saved, you could live any way that you wanted to, and you were still saved. Well, if you're saved, you ought to, your life should show the evidence of that salvation, and individuals were not following that. And so the Methodist denomination came out of that where they were trying to show that you need to stay with the Word of God. And so we need to do the same thing regardless of what our culture says, and our culture is definitely going away from anything that we have in the Word of God. And so the culture tells us uh, what you know, that we, we live any way that we want to, but if we've made some profession that we are saved and nothing can happen to us. Okay, then the seven, verse 16, make yourself bald and cut off your hair. Um, some individuals don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> for the children of your delight, make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. Okay, the hair, or having hair, was a symbol of that you were, you were righteous. This was something that an individual wanted to have, was to have hair. Now, in the Old Testament, I'm sure that individuals got bald also. But still, it was a situation, and it says here that you should make yourself bald, uh, because this... To, in Jewish tradition, showed that you were uh, that you were under being conquered, 
or that uh, something had happened to you. And so it talks about the, uh, whether they talk about the bald as the eagle, uh, whether you, we can think of the, our national symbol, our American symbol, the bald eagle, which from a ways away does look like it's bald, even though there are white feathers there. Uh, but there was an ostrich that lived in the, or a type of bird like the ostrich, that lived in the uh, desert, and that's probably what Micah was referring to. And also they, they didn't have hair on their head. Uh, what's the reason why God made vultures and these animals without feathers on their head? Pardon? Aerodynamics? <laughs> oh, it says aerodynamics. That probably wasn't the case. Uh, they eat carrion, and they stick their heads in there. And if you had feathers, you would get it all messed up. And this way, as long as you don't have feathers, you can just shake your head when you come out and everything goes flying, and uh, you're on your way. Um, we were talking about this the other day, about how much God had to plan to make creation. Uh, we, this, this is totally off the subject, but uh, we were talking about the, the pine cones. Jack pine cones don't open up when they fall off the tree. Lodgepole pines, the same thing. Sequoias, the cones stay tight and the seeds stay in there. You have to have a fire for them to roast and open up, and then the seeds are released, and you can plant the next uh, generation of trees. Now, jack pines, which we have in northern Minnesota, don't grow in shade. So when the jack pines grow up and they drop their cones, even if the cones would shed their seeds, the jack pine won't grow. But a fire comes along, clears out all of the trees, roasts the cones, opens those up, throws the seeds, and now you can have one generation of trees that grows until the next generation of trees goes. See, would you have thought of all of those things if you were creating? You know, I, I think of this often about all of the things that God planned on the creation. Okay, that's totally aside. Okay, uh, I'm supposed to make this Micah last for a while. So, <laughs> Chapter 2. Okay, now we go in, and I mentioned this, that there are three sections to Micah. Uh, chapter 1, verse 2, to ch the end of chapter 3. And it starts out with here. And it goes from doom... And we've been talking about the doom, all of these cities that are going to be doomed, to hope. Then we get to chapter 3. Again, it's there. God starts out with here. And so we have doom to hope there. And then chapter 6, the same thing, this doom to hope cycle that we're going to have. So we will now go on to, to chapter 2 and to the uh, outline we have here. Chapter 2, verse 1. Woe to those who devise wickedness, who work evil on their beds, 
when the morning dawns and they perform it, because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, and a man and his inheritance. Now, what Micah is doing here is that he is talking about what the general population is doing. This is not the Sennacherib coming on in at this time yet, but this is just the general population. How has the general population um, decreased their dependence on the Word of God? How has the general population fallen away from uh, seeing the Word of God? And so these are some of the things that he talks about. And we see this, um, that they devise wickedness, work evil on their beds, they covet fields, seize them, what what's the general thing that's happening here in these first two verses? Mike. What was supposed to happen when they came into the land with lots You're taking away my next point. Uh, <laughs> okay, go ahead. Okay, so you've got individuals that are already taking away uh, the land. And now, Israel was a, uh, a rural society. And so if you're a rural society, you have to have land. And God had given land to each one of the tribes, and then it was given to individuals in the tribes. And so they were supposed to keep this. And it says now, uh, I think uh, this is interesting. In the, the last part of verse 1, why were these people taking this land from the uh, normal farmers? Last part of verse 1. Because they could, right. It, there wasn't any reason why they did this. They were using their power these were the rich individuals who were using their power just to take... They were being bullies, is what it was. Yes? I think uh, a more recent example of that would be the Confederacy. I happen to have a great uncle who was a banker at that time. That's exactly... When I, when I read that about laying on their beds and dividing evil, you know, just thinking about how I'm trying to accumulate all this wealth. Okay. All right. Now, my, my grandfather amassed a fair amount of land, and you can judge whether he did this illegally or not, or whether it was this type of thing. In the Dakotas, you had people that came on in and homesteaded. If you homesteaded, you got 160 acres, and if you built a house on there, and the house had to be at least 8 feet by 10 feet, and it had to have at least one door and one window. If you built a house on there... If you lived on that land for at least three weeks out of the year, and if you made some improvements, which means that you would pick rocks on it, build a fence, um, dig up some land and start to plot it, then after five years it was your, yours. Well, there were a lot of people that came out to Dakotas, and Dakota is not exactly Hawaii as far as climate is concerned. And so they would be there for a year, two years, and they would leave. And so now it was in their name, 
but they weren't paying, paying the taxes. So my grandfather went and paid the taxes, and then he could get the land. And so he wasn't evicting anyone, but he was just paying the taxes, and he amassed a fair amount of land just for paying the taxes. Well, these individuals, they were lying on their beds, and now I wonder, how can I, uh, how can I beat Ishmael out of his land? And so they went uh, talking about this, trying to figure this out, and then they would seize them, take them away, oppress the man and his house, a man and his, and his inheritance. Okay, remember, the inheritance was what was given to them when they came on into the land. And if they lost that, they now would lose the ability to be able to uh, continue on. Now we have a verse, uh, verse 3, that starts out, and uh, <clears throat> last uh, section that we had on Romans uh, Grant kept using one word and saying that we need to pay attention to that word. What's that word that we have? Therefore, right. So, therefore, this is verse 3. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of disaster." In that day they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, We are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me to an apostate he allots our fields. So what basically is happening in verse 3 and 4? Okay, you have invaders so that the individuals who were taking the land from the rightful owners were now being invaded by, by the outside enemy. So we now have Sennacherib is going to be coming in. And he, he destroyed Lachish. He destroyed all of these areas, except for Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the last city to stand. And uh, that was, wasn't going to take place at this time. It took place a little bit later. So there was going to be a disaster that was going to occur. Um, we see in 2 Kings chapter 21, I, no, 1 Kings chapter 21, 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 1 through 3, about this, the land. Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. And after this Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near my house and I will give you a better vineyard for it or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value and money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my father's. So this was very important that they would keep their land, but they were going to lose it by the way that they were living to the invaders coming on in. Now it says that they were going to, um, uh, you cannot remove your, the, for which uh, both against this family I'm devising a disaster 
for which you cannot remove your necks, from which you cannot remove your necks. When you think of removing the necks of an animal, what do you think of? Someone said chicken? <laughs> okay, that is removing the necks. <laughs> uh, but we've got a little bigger animal that's involved here. A work animal? Gordy? The oxen, right. And so the oxen had a yoke on. What could the oxen do to get rid of that yoke? Nothing. There was nothing that they could do to get rid of that yoke. Now, you might have a dog or a cat that can slip a leash once in a while, but the oxen could not slip that yoke. And so this is what Micah is comparing this judgment to them, that it's going to be like the oxen cannot slip its yoke, and you are not going to be uh, able to uh, get away from this punishment. As I said last Sunday, the King James Version on verse 4 is, Lament with a doleful lamentation. Okay, so that is just about as sad as you can get, to lament with a doleful lamentation. And he said, this is what's going to happen to you, and you are going to moan bitterly because of the ruin that has come to you. Then we see verse 5. Therefore you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. Micah, you want, or Mike, you want to give us what you said before in relation to this verse? Okay, right. So we have the, the land was divvied up to the tribes when they came on in. And in Joshua, it talks about this. Joshua chapter 18, verse 8. So the men arose and went, and Joshua charged those who went to write the description of the land, saying, Go up and down in the land and write a description and return to me. So he had surveyors. This was George Washington. This was Lewis and Clark going on out there and surveying the land. And I will cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went and passed up, down, up and down in the land and wrote in a book a description of it by towns in seven divisions. Then they came to Joshua to the camp at Shiloh, and Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh, before the Lord. And there Joshua apportioned the land to the people of Israel, to each his portion. And so Micah is talking about you are going to lose this portion that was given to you when you first came on into the land. Verse 6 and 7, then, we see, uh, do not preach, thus they preach, Okay, do not preach, one should not preach of such things. So the thus they preach is in parentheses, all right? Do not preach, one should not preach of such things. The grace, disgrace will not overtake you. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Now the commentaries are a little bit uh, at odds with each other on this. But I think that what I read to you is Micah's words. This is what Micah is saying. 
And then we continue on from the rest of that chapter. That is what God is now telling Micah to say. And so this first part, do not preach, one should not preach of such things. So we are talking about the preachers that are there. And what is Micah saying about the preachers? Or what are the preachers doing? Yes, Mike. Okay. False prophets that are staying with the people. Grant. Okay, now remember, uh, the people of that day were not able to go home after attending the synagogues and now check the scriptures to see if what the uh, priest had been saying was true. They didn't have a copy of the Bible. The common man didn't have a copy of the Torah at that time. And so this was something that was found in the synagogue and they would have to go there. So they couldn't check on things, but says that they should not, uh, disgrace will not overtake us. What were the preachers saying to the people at that time? Um, yeah, that's not going to happen. Don't worry about that. Yes, Eric. Okay, true, yes. Okay. Right. Yeah. They could go to Shiloh before they had the temple, or they could go, once they had the temple in Jerusalem, they could go there. So, anyway, what is a current 21st century similarity to these? preachers that were saying, don't bother about that, don't worry about that. Okay, preaching to tickle the ears. Anyone else want to add something to this? Okay. All right. That God is love. We have another area that we go into. Anyone think of this? All right. That's the one I was thinking of, the health and wealth gospel, that God does not want his children to suffer and to be poor and to undergo persecution. And if you accept Christ as Savior, it's going to be a bed of roses from here on down. And so uh, this is their version of our health and wealth preachers, that they were uh, talking about this. Now, they also, the Jews, they, uh, I'm going to read something from John, John chapter 8, verses 39 and 40. Uh, And they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. 
But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So basically, what were the Jews in John's time saying when John was telling them that they were supposed to repent? We're Jews. We're children of Abraham. We don't have to worry about all of those little things about repenting and all that kind of stuff. We've got it made since we're Jews. Okay, well, if they were truly Jews, they should have been living like Jews the way the Bible says that the Jews should have lived. And so we see uh, individuals that are doing some of the same type of thing. Uh, Now, so uh, then we uh, so then uh, we go on to God's words. Yeah, I, I've got. I'm going to go through this yet. Um, do, this is the last part of verse seven. Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? But lately, my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest because of the uncleanness that destroys uh, with a grievous destruction. So we see that the Jews here were actually acting like the enemy, in that they were coming on in and they were stripping away the wealth that individuals had. They're taking away their clothes and uh, driving the women on out. And so God is telling them, you are no better than the Assyrians who are trying, who are going to be attacking you. And so you need to change from that and... Uh, uh, go on and uh, live according to the word of God. So they were tossing away their inheritance. The rich were going to suffer the same way as what they had been doing to the individuals uh, that they were in contact with. Okay, I think we're going to stop right there. We'll continue on with chapter 2 uh, next time and go on into chapter 3. Any comments or questions in closing? Okay, we want to welcome the visitors. We want to welcome Kay especially. Uh, So anyway, we uh, um, will visit with you afterwards. So you're dismissed.